This episode is brought to you by Arden Labs Education. Sign up today to learn advanced concepts in Go, Docker, Kubernetes, Terraform, and more. Visit ardenlabs.com forward slash education for more information. Hi, I'm Bill Kennedy, and welcome to the Arden Labs podcast. And today, our special guest is Jeff Levine, all the way from Alaska. How are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, pleasantly uh, kind of warm and enjoying what's what's left of non-snowy winter. But I'm also anticipating snow, so I'm, I'm just in like a good spot, you know, and enjoying Alaska things. November just started, and um, if you're not watching the YouTube, Jeff is dressed like he's cold, which is really odd for me because he lives up there, and he's always, he always looks like it's summertime when I see him, but not today. He, today, you look cold. I, I think it's it's like a mindset thing, right? Like, to me, it's it's not that I'm cold, so I'm wearing a hoodie. It's just like it's fall, so I'm wearing a hoodie and a, and a beanie, you know? It's, they're just comfy clothes. It's just the beanie that's throwing me off there. <laughs> I kind of like, like, I remember I grew up in New York and I went to school in upstate New York. So I, the one thing I do miss is all my fall clothes. I had some really nice, like, shirts and rugby jerseys and things like, like you know, it's all gone, right? So a little bit, it's nice to have a day or two dressed like that. I, I moved to Miami because I hate being cold. So there we go. All right. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> okay. A couple things before we get kind of started in your journey through tech. Give everybody a general sense of um, kind of like the tech you've been working on for the last year or so, like what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah. So um, recently I, I was working with a startup that was doing um, cloud identity attribution and management. So um, basically you would hook up this service to your AWS account. They would scan your IAM users, privileges, roles, and, and do attribution to um, basically see who's doing what in your account. Um, so that's what I've been working on most recently. Um, prior to that, I was working on a SaaS company. Um, so I've, I've done low-level stuff with Docker, high-level stuff with Ruby on Rails. I've done front-end, I've done back-end. Um, but most recently, I've been focused on back-end development um, and uh, took a foray into TypeScript. And I, I can't wait to get back to Go. So Nice. Okay. Okay. So... <laughs> that's that's where Jeff is now, but I, I'm gonna I want to put you into the time machine and send you all the way back, and I want you to share with us that kind of first memory that you have working on a computer, whatever whatever that is, the first memory that pops in your head, and try to give me a general idea of how old you are. Maybe we can. What, what year did you graduate high school? That, that's always a good marker for me. Yeah, so so I'm I'm 31 now. I graduated in 2007, um, and I was actually a year early. I went to an alternative high school, um, and, and graduated early. So that was that was its own funny thing, and I'm sure we'll get to there soon. Early is like 16 early or 17 early. Yeah, yeah, I was 16 when I graduated. Wow. Okay, and that's 2007. You said. Yep. So okay, so go back. What's that first memory that you have working on a computer? So, so this is a funny one um, because I don't know if I can actually remember back this far, and and I might have just had this memory incepted upon me by my parents. But apparently, I was four years old. 
we had a computer that was running uh, MS-DOS. And it was back in the days where it would boot into DOS and you'd have to type something else to actually boot Windows. Um, and my mom had this puzzle game called Seventh Guest. And apparently at four years old, I, I was like infatuated with the computer and hopped on there and had somehow memorized the commands to log in, boot up Windows and start Seventh Guest. And I didn't know the alphabet at this time. So I, that's, that's like what I was told. I don't remember this actually happening. Um, but apparently that was, that was me from like a very young age. Um, as I got a little bit older, I was, I was obviously more sucked into like games and stuff, but, um, I took a, a funny tour and, well, we'll, we'll get to that. I'm sure too. So that was, that was the earliest memory was apparently hacking into my parents' computer. But you don't remember that. that that's, that's coming from your parents' memories, right? Yeah. But, but I always had like weird stuff like that with, with me and computers happening or, or video games, like just anything that was electronic or blinking, you know, cable modems, cable boxes. It didn't, it didn't matter. I loved it all. <laughs> so I, I guess, I guess maybe one of the most impactful that I remember besides just general playing video games is looking at like HTML and CSS and stuff that, uh, in like sixth grade. So this is, oh man, I guess this is like 2000, 99, 2000, somewhere around there. Are your parents technical? Like, do you think this technical aspects of your DNA come, they come from your parents or you just don't know? So that, that's an interesting question because now, absolutely not. Um, but that being said, my, my grandfather on one side of the family was super into ham radio and worked for a telecom. And my dad actually uh, was very close to completing a degree in um, electrical engineering and ran an alarm installation company on the, on the East Coast uh, before he moved to Alaska. Um, so the, the interesting thing is that he was like very into like circuits and analog stuff. But when he got up here, he, he chose like the complete opposite path. So I didn't grow up around those things, but I was inherently attracted to them for whatever reason. But when my dad moved here, he was into fishing. He started gold refinery. He uh, opened a bed and breakfast. So like I somehow was attracted to all this stuff. Maybe it is uh, it is in the in the genes, in the DNA. I'm not sure. I think it is. You were born in Alaska, though, right? I was. Yeah. Yeah. I was born here in 1990. So, you know, one question. I, I, it's not a technical question, but I'm just curious, like being born and growing up in Alaska, do you feel like you're in the United States or just part of the United States? You're so far away that even I have a hard time remembering that you're in the United States, but you're not in the, like, how do you feel? Are you in or just part of the United States? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is a funny question because like, being being born here, you don't know what's normal or, or what's not normal. And I, I remember like back in 2007, I flew to Miami, I took your course, uh, Ultimate Go, and we were talking and you asked me how long it took to, to get to Miami. And I told you it was like 18 hours. And I don't, I, that includes some layovers and stuff. But your, your response to that was like, I could be in India for that. And that made me laugh. But it was also one of those sort of reality check moments that I, I keep coming across where I start realizing things are not normal. So I feel like uh, I am from the United States, but when I travel abroad, the the common thing I hear is that I don't act like 
an American. And I, I don't know what that means. Uh, when I, when I go to foreign countries, I tell people I'm from Alaska. I don't say I'm from the United States. So like, yes, but also kind of no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I just find it really interesting that you're, uh, I don't know. I just, it's interesting just to kind of think about. I mean, and we, what's strange here is that like time, time moves differently in Alaska because we're so connected to the seasons. So like, you'll see, you'll see this window over here. Um, and, and as we're talking, right, keep in mind, it's, it's nine fifteen in the morning. I woke up before the sun came up, uh, and it will come up while we're hanging out talking and it'll be down by 5 PM. And this is, this is November. So it's going to continue to get darker. But I think that we experience a connection to our seasons maybe more deeply than other parts in, of the United States and, and parts of the world. So like our, our schedules and how we orient ourselves around time and the weather is totally different as a result. Because in the summer, in, in June, specifically in Anchorage, where I'm at, we're at a lower, lower latitude. So it, the sun doesn't come up and stay up, but it's not that far. So it'll be dusk all night. And never really get completely dark. And so what we find is like in the summer, there's like two to three months of complete chaos. So everybody is outside, they're doing things, everyone's gone every weekend, they're out fishing or hunting. And um, there's sort of, you know, a step back from work. And that's like socially accepted and, and necessary. And then come shoulder season in winter, everybody sort of starts to hunker down. And there's, there's a focus on work. And and later on, I started to really feel this when I started my my consulting company. But when I was when I was coming a, a around my first full year of consulting, I was you know not sure how things were going and trying to hustle up work. And what I found was that October and November ended up being the ramp of my busy season. And and basically from the moment that we start getting shoulder and fall weather, you know September. Um, in all the way until new year's i was i was just on like a dead run working and that's that's just the cycles up here so everyone really sort of follows that and then come january there's like this big lull where everyone's like kind of hunkered down it's past the holidays um and then you know come like february like the second week in february um a funny thing with the light happens where the the sun is actually penetrating the atmosphere again. And so all of a sudden we're, we're getting sunshine on our skins and there's vitamin D and everyone just starts vibrating with all this energy because they haven't seen the sun in so long. And so it like, then the cycle, the cycle starts again. Right. And, and so I think that time where we have sort of the darkness and there's no like, Oh my gosh, it's sunny. I need to go outside right now. You know, it's kind of where, um, I, I started to really kind of dial in my, my comfort with technology because you know, it's like, well, what, what else am I going to do? I'm, I'm going to play with computers. <laughs> I have to get back to your, back to your youth here, but it almost seems like your economy up there isn't really attached to the U S in terms of, I mean, right. Because you're talking about a working schedule that I don't experience at all here. So how much of your economy up there is actually tied to I want to call it mainland U.S. I don't know what to call it. What do you call the other 48 states down here? So we call them the lower 48. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So th- this is a tricky question, right? So so let me first start off by by talking about landmass, right? Like Alaska is huge and 
you you can pull up one of those maps of of how many states fit inside Alaska. Um, we have more coastline than I, I believe it's the rest of the entire United States. So like Alaska is is unfathomably big. Like I I still do not fully understand it because I I live in the section where the road systems go, and that's that's like a third of the state, right? Like I I haven't experienced everything that's here. So the the economy here is really interesting because it kind of boils down to three sectors. We have military, oil and gas, and and fishing, and then sort of everything that supports those um, those sectors. There there is some university. There, there's some funding, some research. A lot of that's tied to the DOD. A lot of that's tied to stuff that needs to be tested or developed in the climate up here. But by and large, the majority of our economy is related to those things. And all of those things are in turn related very much to um, seasons and, and the weather, right? You fish in the summer. If you're doing DOD research that might require um, you know, studying permafrost, you're gonna do that probably sometime in the summer and sometime in the winter. If you're, you know, military and, and you need to get construction and build infrastructure, that's all gonna be done in the summer. So um, it's definitely on a different cadence than, than the rest of the United States. But we also don't have a lot of people and that, that makes things interesting as well because the, the entire population of Alaska is, is around three quarters of a million, right? So the largest landmass, one of the smallest populations and like the requirements of the jobs up here mean that you're traveling a lot so so people who work oil and gas a lot of them do what's called a hitch so they go up up to the north slope um, which is up up in the northern part of alaska and they'll do that for two weeks and then they'll come back for two weeks um, there are a lot of military people who will get stationed here for like two years and you know they come from places like miami and they're like no i absolutely hate the cold i'm out of here as soon as i can um and and so they don't they don't end up staying and um and then there's there's you know people who are fishermen and and fisherwomen and then they come up and they'll fish all summer and then maybe they'll they'll snowbird somewhere else and and they'll go stay in uh like you know someplace sunny and warm but more often than not they go to ski towns in, in the states which i think is really funny um, or at least the, the people close to me do that often. So there's that seasonality is sort of like an embedded here. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's weird. Cause like even Anchorage is like 250 or 280,000. Um, but there's never that many people here at any, at any one time. So we laugh a little bit in Florida. That there's very few Floridians. Like everybody's <clears throat> at some level moved into the state, right? Like I was born in New York, but it seems like where you are, there'd be a lot of people who, would be would have been born there, right? Like you kind of transition in and out, but if you're living there, is it a majority of people that were born there? Ah, uh, no, I, I mean, it's weird. I'm in a bubble because I was born here. And so what I've seen happen is that there's there's sort of this exodus of, of people who, you know, they like graduate, they're like, I can't wait to get out. I'm gonna go to college, I'm gonna live somewhere else. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go see the States and live in cities. And some people really like that and, and thrive there, you know, like there's sort of a joke that when you go to college, you leave to meet other Alaskans to be friends with. Um, and, and then what I'm seeing now is that over the last like three to, to four years, a lot of those people are realizing, you know, they like the lifestyle um, that you get in, in Alaska and, and that, you know, they, they want to be here. 
And I, I think it's one of those things you don't you don't notice what you have in, until you've you've left and lived somewhere else. You know, I mean, I see moose regularly like walking around uh, in the afternoon, right? Like it's Halloween. Moose love pumpkins. So if you want to see a moose, like carve a pumpkin and leave it outside your front door. And like there's a there's probably like an 80 percent chance or something. If you if you live near any uh, green belt in, in Anchorage that a moose will stop by and give it a nibble. And that's a big animal too, right? And it's an aggressive animal if you're not careful, is it? Um, yes, yes and no. For the most part, it's like give them space, they give you space. It depends on the season and, and if they're calving or not. That's, that's the big one is like stay away from a mom with a calf. And uh, then you have like the, the adolescent males who are like a year old and they, they get aggressive during rutting season which is, is kind of funny. They do like a lot of bluff charges and it, it, it yeah, it's its own thing. It, I guess I'm like hearing myself describe it and it's, and it's still kind of terrifying. But it, when you've been around it enough, you kind of know the behaviors to look out for. So it's, they're, they're like very large dogs and you respect them and give them distance and they're all good. <laughs> very large dogs. All right, let's get, let's get you back. I got to get you back in the time machine here. So, so, by the time you start high school, right, you're 14 years old at that point. What is the, your main interest in activities? I imagine that a lot of it is outdoor kind of stuff. What are the, what are the big, are you doing sport? Like, what is the big sport there? Like, what, tell me who Jeff was at 14 and, and kind of where, where your interests were at the time. There are these little like sort of clicks you plug into and at, at like different, like kind of what your parents are into, right? So I would say that like, Nordic skiing, you know, cross country skiing was sort of like a click. Um, then there was hockey. That was a big one. And so I grew up playing hockey until I was maybe 12 years old. And I think I told my parents I, I didn't want to play anymore. Um, but hockey is like a lifestyle, right? So if, if you're playing comp hockey, you are up at 5 a.m. every day from the moment that you turn like probably seven and you're, you're playing four to five days a week and you're playing on the weekends. I was not playing comp hockey i was i was playing recreational hockey and for me it was like four days a week up at 7 a.m um and so i was kind of in this period where i I'd, I'd moved on from hockey um i i grew up also uh downhill skiing i learned when i was seven or something and uh so i would i would do that on the weekends and um i convinced my dad to let me learn to snowboard and so that was kind of my that was my thing right snowboarding was cool in the in the early 2000s why did you have to convince your dad why did you have to convince your dad of that he just didn't believe in it <laughs> like he well was okay worried? so like... my, my dad he's <laughs> he's from west coast right my dad's or sorry from east coast he's from long island and and so from the you know, island Vermont, of long going... <laughs> yeah 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 now those you only ski on ice on the northeast you know we don't have snow up there you know that right your dad was, yeah, dad yeah, should have yeah. just told you to keep your ice skates on. <laughs> I've never right, skied on powder. Right, I know. I mean, presumably that's why I learned how to play hockey, right? It's like they, just, just preparing for it. Um, yeah, no, I grew up hearing all the time how I was so lucky not to drive four hours to get to a ski resort. I didn't get it until I visited Long Island. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Um, but you had to convince yeah, so, him. Yeah, yeah. So that that was kind of a funny thing. Snowboarding was like still kind of seen as like the rebellious thing. It wasn't like a thing you could make a career on. It was sort of like not that I was ever trying to be a pro snowboarder, but it was like okay, you're you're going to 
learn to ski. And then once you know how to ski, you can learn to snowboard because if you learn to snowboard first, you'll never get on a pair of skis. And he was totally right. I think I turned 16, I bought my first pair of skis and I, I've been on a snowboard maybe once since. So, so my, my kind of duality at that point was, you know, I loved to snowboard and, and get on the mountains and, and downhill. Um, and then I also played a lot of video games at the time. And this actually turned out to be like a really critical moment. So, um, my, my parents lived in different places. And so one of the computers I had at one parent's house could play World of Warcraft and one of them could not. And this turned out to be really important for me because basically what happened is World of Warcraft comes out, I think this is 2003. And all of my friends within the span of a week become completely addicted to it. And I, I play for like a couple of days. And I'm like, whoa, this is super cool. And I, and I go to my, my mom's house for the week and I come back and all of my friends are like level 40 of 60 or something. And I'm like level five. And like, I immediately don't have anybody to play with. And um, I was like a really big Diablo two fan back then too. Uh, and, and I sort of realized like these games require a lot of repetition. Um, and when I started looking at World of Warcraft, I was like, oh, this is like repetition on like a much larger scale. But then there's like this weird economy and people are like leveling up and then they're, they're like grinding and doing the same thing over and over so they can get better items. And all of a sudden, you know, I just sort of realized like this game is really fun. It's really cool. It's really pretty. But also like I'm, I'm watching my life pass me by and all of my friends are playing this 40 hours a week plus, you know, all day on Saturday and Sunday. And then basically the moment they get home from school and, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad, you know, it was one of those moments where in, in hindsight, I'm like, this is probably one of the better things that ever happened to me because, uh, but you're realizing this at 14, Jeff, like you're that mature at 14 to realize that that you don't want to be, you don't want your life consumed by, by this video game. I, I mean, I think it was, a, I think it was a, a forced, like a, like an environmentally provided insight. Because you, because you couldn't play with, at your mom's anyway. Yeah. So, so I started thinking about it and I was like, you know, I, I mean, if I wanted to catch up, what would this take and how much time would I need to, to put in this? And, and I, the, the thing that really kind of honed it in was I realized that video games were, a social thing for me. Um, and I guess, I guess even rewinding a couple of years, you know, that transition from elementary school to middle school was, was pretty tough for me. This was like why I ended up at an alternative school in the, in the first place. But, um, essentially the, the neighborhood that I grew up in and the elementary school, you know, I could, I walked across the street to go to school, um, basically through sixth grade. And so that cohort of friends that I had was, super tight knit. All of our parents were the same age. And, and then I made that transition from elementary school to uh, middle school. And I made, I made like one kind of funny, crucial decision, which was um, in sixth grade, I tested into the, the gifted program uh, in my elementary school. And when I moved from elementary to middle school, that, that automatically enrolled me in the gifted program at, at the middle school. And there was some impetus, I, I forget exactly how it was laid out, but you had to take a, an after-school sport, a language, and um, one other class. And I forget what it was, but I 
I like didn't want to take an instrument, I think is what it was. I didn't take an instrument. And so basically uh, that shifted my schedule and I no longer went to went to school with any of my friends. And so that year um, I sort of, you know, struggled a little bit socially. Um, I was I was pretty unhealthy as a kid, too. I used to eat a lot of junk food. Um, I, I know it's probably hard to see it now, but I was I was quite chubby. I don't know how much of that was related to you know, just, I was putting on weight to grow or what, but, um, you know, seventh grade was like, it was kind of tough. I didn't enjoy going to school. Um, I played a lot of video games kind of, you know, in isolation being, being at my dad's house, it was like really easy to, to hang out with friends because they all lived in the neighborhood. But, uh, my, my mom lived across town. And so that became a little bit more difficult at that time. So I think maybe part of this realization was that, you know, in seventh grade, before World of Warcraft came out, I had already spent all of this time, you know, kind of by myself, isolated, playing video games, realized like I, I wanted something different out of that. And so come come eighth grade, um, I moved to a school that had just opened up. It was called Highland Tech High. It was a different paradigm for, for how school was taught. It, they didn't use a credit hour, which is what, a, you know, colleges and, and normal high schools and stuff or normal schools use. Um, and, and, you know, that, I think that was like probably the catalyst. That was where I, I started, you know, making friends that would last a, a lifetime, but you know, they, I, that school was seven through 12 and, um, all of my friends immediately were, you know, two years older than me. And, and so maybe this was a part of it was like, you know, I, I had older friends, um, you know, I was sort of disconnected from a lot of my childhood friends at this point. So I was kind of discovering things about computers. And like I said, I always sort of had that intrinsic interest, whether it was video games or, or whatever, you know, I'm a bit un, unsure on some of the pieces of the timeline here, because, you know, I remember around this time, my sister being convinced she wanted to be a graphic designer and she convinced my mom to get a, a copy of Microsoft front page. And so Microsoft front page, uh, for the younger guests on, or, or listening to the podcast uh, was like a very early web web development piece of software. And um, I don't think any of us really realized what it was, but my sister installed it and was like, oh, you know, code and HTML, like I don't want anything to do with this. And I installed that and was like, wow, this is really cool. Um, so all of this sort of happened around the same time in like a two or three year period where I started, you know, playing around with websites and, um, you know, just, just trying to find outlets, uh, while I was, while I was going through that, that adjustment period. And, and it's funny now, cause I have a lot of friends who are teachers. And the one thing that I hear is that, you know, that middle school transition is probably the hardest time for kids. And, and I'd be curious to see, you know, how many people cemented their interest in technology and programming during those years. Um, because, you know, I guess, I don't talk about this that often, but looking back on it, you know, it was really probably like a two and a half, three year period um, where I really just sort of dove in. But that middle school ended up also being your high school, right? Like that was the, the last school you went to and you started that school in eighth grade instead of seventh. Is that what you transitioned? Was that school closer to moms or dads or in the middle? Like you're not walking to school anymore. So, so I did walk to school and that was, yeah, that, so that school was, um, it was one mile away from my mom's house. So, so I generally get a ride in the morning and then I'd walk home. It wasn't a big deal. Um, 
but that, so yeah, that was, that was one mile past my mom's house from my dad. So it ended up being eight miles away from my dad's place. Now, Anchorage is funny. Eight miles might sound like a lot. If you're in a city, it's, it's like, that can be a 10 minute drive, uh, maybe 15 minute drive or something, um, on, on like a normal non-rush hour time of day. Uh, so it wasn't that far, but like geographically, right? Like you go from all your friends being in the neighborhood to, uh, going to an alternative school where it was a lottery to get in. So you had a lot of kids who are from different parts of the city that were going there. Um, there was no bus service that went there because of how, how geographically, um, spread out a lot of students were. So, um, yeah, that, that was kind of weird. Um, that even though the school is closer to my mom's place, you know, like my, my friends weren't necessarily any closer. I think I had one friend who lived in the neighborhood that was like walking distance. Right. And even though you could ride your bike, you're, you're talking, you're not talking a mile or two, you're talking friends are kind of scattered all over the place. But, but yeah. I know you, I know you to be an outdoorsy person and I'm trying to get a sense of when all that happened. And I'm, I was figuring that when you were in high school, you still spent a majority of your time outdoors, not necessarily um, on the computer. So beyond just gaming during your, your high school, and you still got still to gotta tell me how you end up graduating at 16, um, what is it that you're really interested are you Are you doing computer programming at all in, in that school at the time? And what else are you doing curricular? beyond school. Yeah. So, so in the school, um, let, let's, let's take a, like, let me talk about how the school operates for a second, because this, this ends up being really important to sort of my philosophy in life and, and also how I end up graduating and everything. So, um, this school's curriculum was what's called standards-based. So they would take a subject like geometry and break that subject up into a, a number of like well-defined objectives. So, um, you know, or algebra or something, right? So can you, you know, compute the circumference of a circle? Can you compute the area of a circle? Um, all these different, like very specific things. And um, once you can demonstrate that you have that skill and that ability, then you move on. Um, well, there's one other step. They would have you apply 20 of those skills to a hands-on project that required the skill, um, and then you would move on. And so they were adjusting and figuring out that curriculum the first several years that I went. I think they finally cemented it in like the third year that I was there. But um, they would also let you do these things called individual learning projects. And so in order to get the analytical portion, right, the apply, the, the, por the part where you apply the skill, um, you would oftentimes do these uh, individual learning plans or we call them ILPs. And, and you could just come up with an idea for a project and tell them how it would apply this and what your plan was for getting it done. And, and then you would just go do it. Um, so there were, there were kids who are taking physics that would go shoot ski videos and like talk about the, the forces applied on the skier and the skis and, and, you know, like silly stuff. I guess it's not really silly. It was cool. Like a lot of these guys probably, if they were into it, could have become professional skiers. It was practical, right? And fun. Yeah, some sometimes <laughs> the the first few years were were interesting. If if you could make it fun and you could justify it, yeah, it was super fun. Um, but but in these early years, you know, we had these classes and these labs where you know you would they had these stations set up 
And one of the, one of the, actually one more thing. So this school was supposed to be the first school in the Anchorage school district that had one computer per student that was attending there. Um, for some kind of funny political reasons that didn't happen. Um, it ended up being half PC and half Mac. Um, and, uh, we had these like labs where we would spend, you know, an hour or two and you would get stationed at, at one of the, the places, the stations in the lab. And, you know, it might be something like a flight simulator. And so you would, you would practice like learning how to fly for, for a couple of weeks and then you'd move on to the next station. And so really there was this underlying philosophy that was, um, you know, using technology to do everyday stuff. Like it didn't, it didn't necessarily have a focus. Like you weren't learning to program, but you, you were using technology to do all of the normal schoolwork. So, you know, we were already using office and word and Excel and PowerPoint and stuff like back then. And there was a handful of people who were doing web stuff. And, and I had been doing that already since, you know, fifth, sixth grade. So I was interested in it and playing with all that stuff. So there, there was an underlying aspect of technology in this, in this school, that aspect plays into why I ended up there in the first place, right? Is my parents are like, Oh, we've got this kid. He's, he's not necessarily doing great in, in middle school. Like socially it's weird. Like, you know, people don't necessarily understand him or like why he's so into technology. So we're going to send him to this school where they use technology in everyday, everyday life. And, and we'll see if, if that changed anything. And, and that wasn't like they were going to send me. That was my choice, too. I love the idea of the school and the way it handled the curriculum and it handled that kind of stuff. So so just briefly explain two things to me, then. How do you end up graduating basically a year early? Because you're 16, though. I mean, you're in the school system at a normal pace. Suddenly, you graduate at 16, and then I, I still want to kind of hear what else you're kind of doing day in and day out beyond. I still don't know. Are you out skiing with your friends on the right season? Is it all season based? So depending on the season, like we talked, that's what you were doing in one form or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so these these things happen in tandem. This this transformation happens in tandem. So so at the same time, um, there there's also another funny story we might have to segue into. Um, I get suspended for building a website that was not of great taste uh, that all of my friends were allowed to contribute to. Um, this happened in I think this happened. This might have actually happened before World of Warcraft. This is like this is like eighth grade. So I've I've acquired a book on PHP and. Um, I, like any good PHP developer, decided to build a content management system. Uh, and so I, I build this website. It's got forms. Uh, my friends at various schools can like enter stuff into the forms. And like, you know, now, now you've got a blog post that's on a website, right? And, and so I built this thing. And then some of my friends end up like putting some stuff that's like making fun of teachers and <laughs> like just just stupid stuff now now the problem is this happened around the time of columbine which is not funny um and so anyways like some of the teachers get a hold of this or you know one of the students parents find out about it and it gets reported so long story short i end up getting suspended in like fifth grade and my parents are now like well okay what what just happened because he didn't write any of the content he just built the website and like that's actually kind of cool so like the school is like a little bit confused. I'm on like a 10 day suspension for doing this. Um, 
they end up like getting to day five and I'm just like staying up all night playing like Diablo two and video games. Cause I don't have anything better to do. And then like one day I get woken up at seven 30 in the morning and I've been staying up till two playing games. And my parents are like, Hey, they lifted your suspension. You're going to school today. That's crazy. You must've been, were you panicking a little bit? Did you, or were you confused? Did you know you didn't really do anything wrong? No, I was definitely panicking. Um, you know, I like when they came and got me, it was sort of like, we, you know why you're going. And I was like, ah, okay. I mean, I did ask. Right. But they were like, well, you know why you're, you're going. Right. And I was like, yeah. Okay. Now the other, the other critical piece of this is that it was, it was like my best, my childhood best friend who lived three houses down from me, you know, we, like we were inseparable. And, and then, you know, when I started going to a different school and stuff that, that kind of changed, but like, obviously we would still hang out and stuff when I was at my dad's house. So um, I was like building the website and him and his friends, he was like, he missed the cutoff. He was like four months younger than me. So his friends were all one year younger. Um, so they were all writing stuff. And then his brother was two years older and his brother and his friends started writing stuff, but somehow it all sort of ended up getting pinned on him. Um, and some of their friends. So there was like sort of this like panic mass suspension where like way more people got suspended just cause they weren't sure if like something bad was going to happen or whatever. Um, so anyways, all of this stuff like ends up getting unraveled. He ends up like doing a full suspension, but like it ends up like nothing, nothing bad happens here. No, there was no violence or there was nothing. It was just stupid, like young boys being young boys, but this time with technology, right? Right. But, and nobody really knew what it was or how to handle it. Right. Like even the adults in the room have no idea what to do here. Right, right. And and their fear, which was completely fair, was that, you know, oh, these are, you know, boys ranting about teachers they don't like and whatever. And like, are these threats? Are these real? We're not sure. Um, so, you know, in, in hindsight, looking back on it, you know, I, I think it's kind of funny, but also looking at the content of what was being written and like the time and what was happening across, you know, the United States um, in, in various schools and Columbine and stuff, it's actually like, you know, pretty, pretty serious. So it was, it was this weird thing where like, I, I built it, but I didn't contribute any of the content. I was very forthcoming about that. They were sort of asking me about what I did in order to build this. And I was like, well, yeah. So I wrote this code in PHP and I used a database and I uploaded it to a web server. And like, after the initial panic sort of died out from everybody, then there was like the, but wait, you built this thing like from scratch. Um, and that, that was probably where things started to take a, a bit of a change. And, and I, I vaguely remember sort of my parents talking to me a bit about, you know, maybe video games or how much time I was spending. I, I don't really remember at this point, but, you know, I think that was also probably part of the catalyst of, of me wondering, you know, how much time am I, am I spending and, and where am I dedicating that time? Am I just, you know, dumping this into a time sink that's not going to get me anywhere or like, am I actually building websites or like, you know, what, what am I doing? And, and so I think this was all part of, part of that revelation, right? So I, I think World of Warcraft actually came out like just after this. Um, and, and so all of a sudden I'm, I'm, you know, watching all of my friends get sucked into this thing. And the last time I got sucked into a thing with all of my friends, I got myself into a bit of trouble. And now I'm like, well, if I get sucked into this thing, you know, I don't think I'll get into trouble, but like, surely like nothing great is going to happen from this. And so maybe that was sort of my, like my counterculture uh, movement when, when I was in middle school, right. It's like, all my friends are going this way. I'm going to go, I'm going to go this way. 
um, and and see where I end up. Jeff, I think I think I think Facebook owes you money because I think you started Facebook. They put it down, and Mark, you know, saw it and said. <laughs> We got to launch this thing because you essentially had Facebook, man. You had these kids logging in, <laughs> you know, talking openly about you gave them a, a space to vent, I guess. Right. Openly. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah. OK, wait. Look, yeah. right, so I, I got to pull you back here. So I'm going to pull you back. So you're, you're about to graduate high school. What's going on in your head, especially at 16 on what your next step is, because I would imagine I'm not that excited about going to university at 16. I mean, you're still really young at that point. I mean, even 17 is is tough age to enter in university. So what's going on, dude? So I got my first car in January of 2006. It was a two-wheel drive Ford Ranger. Um, I drove that car for 10 years in Alaska. It was a fantastic driving experience. Um, well, sorry, I, I'd been driving for a couple of years. So sorry, I guess it was it was 2007. It just turned 2007. So uh, my birthday is in July. So I, I was like always one of the younger kids in school. Um, and so, yeah, I graduate, you know, a month and a half before my 17th birthday. So um, that was definitely kind of a kind of a weird thing. But circling back on school for just a minute is that they were figuring out the curriculum for the first like three years I was there. Um, so they didn't really know, you know, what all the levels were, how would this translate back to a normal school? Um, and so because of those curriculum changes and also this sort of underlying message that, you know, if you've got a problem child, send your kid here. Now this wasn't like a, a school for like, kids who have dropped out or something or like weren't succeeding or, you know, had been reprimanded, but that's, that was sort of like an underlying message. And so that's sort of what happened was like a lot of kids who were having trouble in other schools ended up here when in reality, the idea was like, you know, motivated kids who don't want to be here forever. You should send them there because they can make their high school experience sort of what they want out of it. So, so I ended up more on that end of the spectrum and there was like a, a pretty select group of people who I think kind of felt like that. Um, but during that time, you know, nobody really knew like, okay, well, we've got all these standards. How, how do we actually graduate? And, and there wasn't, you know, in a traditional school system, it sort of like pushes you forward and you, you get things done and you, you pass your classes in our school system. It was like, well, if you don't do anything for a year, like that's on you to make that back up or you're just not going to graduate in time. And so what we were seeing was um, the first year that we had people who could graduate, only like a handful of them were on time. And there were, there were a handful who were late, there were a handful who were on time. Um, and so going through the school system, you know, starting in eighth grade, uh, I was seeing, you know, how much was left in front of me because I had to do everything that was in eighth grade, then ninth grade, then 10th grade, then 11th grade. And so what I started, looking at was like, if I don't buckle down, I'm, I'm not going to graduate. And so um, eighth grade, I wasn't really sure what I accomplished. Ninth grade, I started seeing like, if I don't start doing some stuff now, you know, I'm not going to graduate by the time I'm, I'm a senior. And 10th grade was when they really locked in that curriculum. And so I sort of knew what I needed in order to get done. So I, I wrote a letter, I sat down with the vice principal and um, you know, my, my advisor 
for school. Um, and basically it was like, Hey, I want to, I want to, all my friends are, you know, in the next division up. So there were three divisions, seventh and eighth, ninth and 10th, 11th and 12th. All my friends are in the next division up and I don't feel like I'm getting enough done. Can I stay at school for an extra hour per day and jump in, um, on the division, either division two or division three classes so that I can take, um, you know, the upper level English and writing and history and science and, and then also take my own English and history and writing and science. Um, so there was like a year there, I think it was 10th grade where I was at school from like 845 to 430. Um, and that was also another thing is that I've never really been a morning person, presumably because I stayed up all night on a computer. Um, and so, you know, having a later start time, I think was really beneficial for me, uh, at that age. So, so basically I was, I was already thinking, okay, I'm not going to graduate. I need to do a bunch of stuff to catch up. So I made that happen for myself. I had to petition the school to let me do it. It was all good. Um, we had like after school strategy game clubs, which I would like kind of run and host, um, and, you know, play Warcraft three and civilization and stuff like that. Um, but a lot of times I would end up either programming or just like hanging out. Um, I ended up running the network there at the time. That was all Microsoft Active Directory. Um, and I want to interrupt you for a second. I want to interrupt you for a second. I, I want to know where the motivation came from, because whatever it is, can we bottle it and give it to a complete <laughs> generation of high schoolers? Because I got a high schooler in my life right now who looks for every reason to procrastinate, including talking to the adults, because that's obviously better than doing homework. So I, where was this drive and motivation to get high school done uh, coming from when you're 15, 16 years old? It's just not normal. It's not, I want to say normal, that's the wrong word. It's very unusual for someone that age to get that motivated, in my experience. Yeah, I, I want to say that it was a it was a carrot or stick situation, right? And and I, fortunately at the time I had the right the right framing to give me the stick because I, I honestly, you know, think that's what I needed. Prior to that, I, I only did what was really interesting to me. But when you know I started looking at this and I had everything laid out, I had the roadmap of where I needed to get to. All of a sudden, I realized like okay, well, the school's not really doing it for me. I need to do it for myself. And I didn't want to be somebody who was, you know, 18, 19, doing an extra year of school because I didn't apply myself earlier on in, in the process. And um, that, that became really important. You know, I, I think it's easy for any kid to pick something up that they're interested in, maybe that they have a bit of talent and just start fiddling with it. And, and maybe that's sort of what I was doing from a technology perspective. But, but from school, uh, that was definitely more just like, I could see the roadmap. And if I don't, if I don't do this, it's not going to happen. And I'm watching, you know, seniors who are getting to the end, you know, they've got three months left. They're on a dead run. Their, their teachers are trying to push them through the process to get them over the line so they can graduate on time. And I just, I was looking two, three years out and I just said, if I, if I don't, you know, buckle down now, I'm, I'm not going to get there. But get there was graduating high school. So uh, you must have had some notion of what you wanted after high school. Like that was, that was a finish line and I see it. But at that point too, some light bulb must have been in your head because what was it 
Why were you racing to that finish line, right? Because that's what you're doing now. You're like, I'm going to get there. I see other kids not getting there. I don't want to be that kid. But that must have meant that there was something more special after that. So what were you thinking you wanted to do after high school that made you get to the finish line as quickly as you did? You know, I mean, it's it's funny hearing you say that because I don't I don't think I did know what I want. And and like I end up kind of floundering a little bit in college because of it. Um, so so sort of like there, there's like a funny punchline in this story, which is that because I end up graduating early, um, I get I get a scholarship to the University of Alaska. Uh, and, and that lets me go to any of the schools here. There's there's kind of three um segments there's university of alaska anchorage there's university of alaska fairbanks and then um southeast which isn't right like one big campus it's sort of a connection of campuses but um yeah essentially i i i end up with a scholarship there that i that i didn't have to use but but obviously it made financial sense to do that and i think from my family there was sort of a a latent expectation that you were going to go to college and, and get a degree um, and, and maybe that was something, I, I think that's something that's common for, you know, most of America at that time, this was before, you know, college prices had gotten super crazy. They were already pretty crazy, but they were definitely starting to, to go up even more than, um, and so, you know, I, I think it was more just like, I see this thing in front of me and if I don't, if I don't deal with this now, I'm going to, I'm not going to make it. And then I'm going to have to figure stuff out. So. I think this is this also factors into the carrot or stick analogy, right? Which is that um, had I been running towards something, you know, I probably would have just kept on going in, in one specific direction, but I didn't necessarily know what that thing was. And so really, I just wanted to, to get over the objective and the barrier that was directly in front of in, in front of me at the time. So what do you do in college? So what do you do? What do you do in university? Now, you, you're 16, you take the scholarship. It's expected of you to go to university. It was the same in 1987. It wasn't like you just went into the job market. And I think it's really sad, at least in 19, in the late 80s, too. It, I'm not going to say my parents made me feel this way, but there was this sense, at least where I grew up, that if you didn't go to university and went into a trade, you were like less of everybody else, which is the dumbest thing on the planet because. If you're looking for a quality of life and a career and right, like at the end of the day, I need a plumber and electrician and a roofer. And I want the very best educated of those people. Right. Like this dumb mentality we have, at least we had back then, is horrific. Right. And I'm getting a sense that you're, you, you're sensing the same thing in 2007. It was like, no, you're better than that. You're going to university. Whoa, 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 whoa. So. Did you feel, I guess, pressured to go to university, but you didn't know what you wanted to study? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I knew I was interested in computers. Um, you know, programming was not big here. It, it wasn't, you know, I didn't hear about tech companies. You know, I, I had an introduction to Ruby on Rails in maybe 2009, 2010. Um, and this, like, keep in mind, I've already been programming for five years. Ruby on, and Ruby on Rails was introduced like 2007. So, um, you know, I, I was not connected to technology and up here, if you wanted to be connected to technology, that was almost always through systems administration. So you're doing networking, you're managing Active Directory, you know, you're installing and setting up laptops. And so I kind of detoured into there. 
Um, you know, and I've been, I've been building websites for little small businesses around town as like my side hustle. Um, you know, making this transition, I, I think I wanted to be an outdoors person and, and like an athlete, but like my parents were very much not that. So I, you know, found my own path there. I, I worked at, uh, REI, uh, which is like an outdoor store that sells skiing and snowboarding equipment and bikes and all sorts of stuff. Um, so that was like my, my high school job. And so basically I end up graduating and I'm, I'm kind of trying to figure stuff out. And I, I visited the university of Reno and that didn't resonate with me. My parents were like really trying to get me to look at the uh, Oregon Institute of technology. I didn't end up going, I, I just, I really didn't know what I, what I wanted. Um, and I think that was like kind of that, that interesting transition. That was like the second transition for me within that age group. Um, and, and so I basically just started going to school. I figured, okay, well, like I've got some time, I'll start taking my, my gen ed courses. And so I hop in, um, I pretty much blow through all my gen ed courses within, you know, a year or something. So yeah, I just figured I'm going to use this scholarship. I'm going to, I'm going to start going now. This scholarship had like some sort of funny things. Basically it would pay for half of your college. Um, but you had to take, you had to be fully enrolled. You had to take four classes and you had to maintain a GPA of maybe like a 2.5 or a 3.0. And this is like the, the first like outside of school experience where I realized my like carrot or stick analogy starts to hold is that for whatever reason, you know, like I enroll in all these classes, I don't understand how college works or like getting into classes before everyone else enrolls or that they fill up or dropping a class at the last minute to switch or any of this stuff. So I ended up taking, you know, like some lifespan psychology and like some of these other classes and stuff. Um, and they're all like cumulative classes. So you, you accumulate points throughout the end and then there's a, a maximum number of points you can get and that determines your grade at the end. Well, you know, halfway through, we've only had an opportunity to earn so many points. And so I look at my GPA, I'm like averaging all D's or something. And so I'm like freaking out, right? I'm, I'm like sweating. Um, and then, so I, you know, and then I have to meet with an academic advisor, which isn't related to my grades. It's just, you know, if you have this scholarship, they want you to check in periodically. Um, so I go and do that. And then, you, you know, I basically end up just like putting my head down and, and graduating with like a 4.0 that semester. And, and keep in mind also, like the grading at my high school is not the same. So, um, the grading in high school, basically passing was an 80%. And then the only way to get an A was like to teach another student the skill that you had just learned. So even like making that transition from like project standards-based objectives, where you're finishing this thing and then moving forward to going back to a traditional credit hour system, where like you sit here for three months and at the end of that, you get a grade was like a pretty big shock to the to the system and i don't think that i realized i was struggling back then um but you know it definitely it definitely was a weird adjustment period um and so during this time you know i'm i'm working at rei sometime around the age of like 18 i end up getting like a real sort of real tech job i'm, I'm a sysadmin for a native corporation up here um they've got offices in point hope and virginia beach i end up like running the network um, for that company. Wait, 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 wait. You're in university. You're doing these classes. You're 18, so you're two years in. You're working at the outdoor store because that, uh, it's allowing you to connect at some level with the outdoors and the nature. 
and then suddenly you jump jobs and you take it with, with this company, this native company. Do uh, uh, you skip too much here? Because I want to know, how did that job <laughs> even show up in your radar screen? What made you apply? Did you feel like you were even qualified? Like, did you decide after that you didn't need university? I don't even know if you graduated university yet. So tell me a little bit how that job kind of presents itself to you, where you decide to take it, or at least interview and apply. Yeah, yeah. So, so much of this, in hindsight, comes back to the high school I went to. So we had we had um, these these extracurricular categories of, of standards we had to do. So there was technology, personal and professional, right? So professional being stuff like, oh, you need to learn how to write a resume. Technology being like, you know, can you build PowerPoints and do presentations? Um, and there's some overlap with professional. And then personal is like, you know, do you do you know how to manage yourself? Um, and can you can you take care of other people in some sense? So think think about, you know, PE. Are you learning about nutrition and food? Um, and, and again, how you want to accomplish these things is sort of up to you. And, and in the, the winter time, there was this ability to do like a two week intensive in January. So, you know, I did like outdoor survival classes where we'd go into the woods and build snow huts and sleep in them overnight. Um, but in the technology category, I was like leaps and bounds ahead of everyone. So like, in, I'm, I'm like 14 or 15. Um, the network guy leaves, they end up looking for anyone who can help out, uh, cause it, the school is having some like weird budgeting things because it was a charter school. That's its own other story. But anyways, I end up like helping them out with the network. And so I develop sort of these skills to do it, but on the side, I'm also trying to figure out, you know, well, what else can I do in technology? And I've already kind of maxed out all of these school, these skills. So level six in all of these was considered graduating in, in all of the categories, whether it's math or anything else. And so I started taking um, certification courses. So I got my A plus, I think when I was like maybe 15 or 16. Um, and then I, I started working on getting my network plus uh, around the same time. I never took that test just because I realized like, you know, so much of this is is just memorization. It's it's not the application, but I ended up meeting somebody in that, in that class um, who gets a job at this company and they're looking for somebody and they end up like reaching out to me. Um, and this ends up being like a pretty common theme for me. You know, I, I don't know how many resumes I've, I've ever sent in, um, you know, and, and gotten hired just from a resume. It's, it's always been communication with other people. And that, that's interesting because I don't, I don't like go to events looking to network with people. I'm pretty driven by personal communication. And, you know, that's, that's been the thing that's gotten me most places in in life um and i've been pretty fortunate because of that but that ends up being you know how i end up over at this company is somebody from that a plus class gives me a call and says hey we're looking for somebody we don't know anyone um are you interested in applying and i say sure so i go in there i interview and i get the job and it's double the pay that i'm making it at rei at 18. so um you know and, I, and i'm living at home right so i'm saving most of this money which is really nice uh, let me let me ask you a question here i i I want to, I, we got to keep moving the story forward here, okay, because we got time. But the more, every time I ask you a question, it goes back to, goes back to that high school. Every time I ask you a question, it comes back to the high school. And every time we go back to the high school, I feel like you had less and less of a childhood. Do you feel like you had a childhood at all uh, from a teenage perspective, a, a teenage childhood? Because I don't know how you did all of that work, your certifications, building the websites, 
when what were you doing for when were you playing when were you outside on the ski like you maximized every I feel like you had to have almost maximized every minute of daylight and and time while you're there I, I just really quickly I want you to think about that like do you feel like all you did for those three years was like work or do you feel like I don't know what the question is. I just, it's wild to me. You know, for, for whatever reason, I, 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 know, I don't think I ever felt like I had this like period of time that I was, I just like never had responsibilities. And, and I don't know why that is. Um, you know, I never had that like early period in my twenties where I, I just sort of like did whatever I wanted and like traveled the world or what, whatever, like took a gap year. I did take gap years, but like, they always kind of felt like tumultuous to me for some reason. Like I was like stressed out if I wasn't moving in a direction. And I think that's probably like an underlying aspect of this is that like, I really don't like being in a position where I'm, I'm not making progress in, in some direction. And, and that ends up coming back in my early twenties. I'm going to change the words you're using. I think. I start to feel guilty if I'm not being productive. If I'm just lounging around and not doing something, I start to feel guilty. I have this need to be productive. And it's not about what I did yesterday. It's like, what did you do today? Which sometimes hurts because every once in a while, somebody that loves me has to say, Bill, it's okay for you to just watch TV today. Like, stop, just do it, you know? And I'm getting the same sense from you. It's almost like this guilt that if you're not being productive in some form or another, then you're doing something wrong. And that's kind of what I'm getting. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that that probably has a lot to do with my upbringing. Um, you know, like I, like I said, I was, I'm sort of like the black sheep of my own family. I have a very small family. We're all fairly tight. I talk to my dad every day. My sister lives in Vegas. I talk to her all the time, but, um, you know, like I was the only one who was drawn to athletics. I, I loved running from a young age, but nobody in my family did it. And so I spent a lot of time sort of figuring out a lot of these things, trying to figure out my own self-management and, you know, what balance I need. And so I think you're you're probably not wrong in that I, I definitely felt this need um, to be maximizing that time. But I also think that because my interests were so polarized, right, I either loved, you know, skiing and jumping off mountains and cliffs and stuff, or I wanted to be like focused learning a programming language or something that, you know, maybe other people didn't realize that duality and, and maybe I didn't realize that duality later. And there was actually a book that came out in 2003 called The Rise of the Creative Class that describes this pretty darn well. And it was one of those books where you're listening to this and it like i remember my dad always saying like oh you're not just a one-dimensional person you're you know multi-dimensional and you need to embrace that and then i listen to this book and it goes on to describe that people who do highly intensive like mental work tend to love really repetitive sports like long distance running or like long distance road biking and stuff which which like that was my hobby was mountain running for for like years um, and now it's road biking, you know, and it, there's there's something that draws me to this. And, and so I think when you're like on the outside looking in, right, you're you're like, OK, this person is on their computer all day and then they turn around and they get off their computer and they go ride their bike for three hours like that. That seems crazy to me. But in some 
strange way those those things complement each other right like that is that is how i reset my brain is by doing these other activities and for me that was always like the meditation right is that like you know i'm i'm in my brain all day and then doing this other thing allows me to be in in the the physical world for the the rest of the day right like you're you're physically in your own body you're doing these other things you're you're getting fresh air and oxygen um and and so i guess that you know if if you're not accustomed to that right this comes back to the alaska thing this this like duality of like you know okay i play as hard as i possibly can and like barely sleep all summer and then in the winter you know i'm like catching up on netflix and binging whatever it is i'm i'm doing or or binging on computers um you know, maybe, maybe those are, those are all sort of those factors. So I don't know that it's like, I, I miss that childhood experience. I think I was maybe just quite, quite absorbed in, in that duality. It's fair. I just remember when I was your age, I was kind of doing everything other than trying to be productive. Right. I, I just wanted to be out with friends. I just wanted to play. I just wanted to whatever it was, you know, I was, I wanted to do everything but the academics. Well, you know, that's me. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that framing is is part of the problem, though, because I, I think I don't think you need to be productive all the time. I think you need to have hobbies that are inherently productive, and that's something that I've struggled with. Is like you know, on days where I am tired and I feel like I'm not getting anything done, my my sort of go to is like, oh, I need to build a plan and buckle down. But you know, also just looking at myself, to to me, I had to have the the self-awareness to realize like, oh, I'm, I'm an inherently motivated, productive person. I like to do things that move me forward. So like, if I am having an off day, you know, maybe I need to embrace that I'm having an off day or like try to figure out why, like, did I not sleep enough? Did I have a couple of drinks last night? You know, did I, did I over-exercise and I'm, I'm just in a brain fog Did I eat something that wasn't good. So, you know, I, I think for me, it was always like, I was, I was kind of trying to to figure that stuff out. But I don't necessarily believe in like always being productive. Like I think, you know, you can open up a code editor with no intention and, and play. I don't think you have to always be building or working on something. And I think I do tend to gravitate toward that productive aspect. And in my case, I think that that isn't, that isn't the, the healthiest mindset to always have. All right, look, we got like 15 minutes left here and we're, I got to get you out of university here. So uh, let's just kind of speed up a little bit. By the time you're about to graduate university, which is maybe what, 2011, 2012, um, you're still working for that company doing IT support. So are you thinking now as you finish your degree, or what did you get your degree in, by the way? What, what did you end up majoring in? Yeah, so I'm gonna I'll, I'll speed through this real quick. So I'm at that native corporation for one year. My high school, the one thing it did lack in, it was great in reading, writing, comprehension. Not very great at math and science. So I'm in university. I take CS 101. I'm learning Java. I hate it. Uh, I don't really understand like the object-oriented stuff and like weird class inheritance and stuff like that. And it just never really resonated with me. And I also started looking at what it was going to take to graduate with a degree in computer science. And I basically, I had always kind of, I was never like a math brain person. So that was always going to take work. So when I got to university, I had to start at like one level below college algebra. Um, and so I started working my way up through there. So I do end up taking a gap year. I quit this job at, for whatever reason. Um, and I end up being enrolled in one class and I've got a season pass to the local mountain. So I end up skiing and that one class is math. Um, I start looking at this and I realize, okay, I've got, 
I need to get to calculus just to come into computer science. And I don't want to take math for two years before I can meet the prereqs to start taking upper level programming. But also this just felt very like theory heavy and not practical. And I didn't understand how that was going to be applied. So a friend of mine says, hey, I'm bailing on CS. I'm going to management information systems. I end up going over there. Um, that ends up like being probably one of the best things that I ever did. It's very much, you know, it's applied instead of undergrad and gen ed classes um, being, you know, all science and math based, they're all accounting, finance. So all of a sudden I'm building an understanding of how to apply these, these courses. There's analysis, there's, there's databases, there's web programming, there's, you know, uh, it was ASP.net stuff. Um, so that ends up that ends up being great. Uh, so I end up skiing and goofing off for a year. I start MIS. I get a job at a new company that's a small nonprofit. I end up doing everything for them. So I'm running their IT. I build them a CRM. I'm setting up Windows servers, and they kind of gave me like carte blanche. So if I could come up with a project and there was a reason for it and a budget, I could do it. Um, so that started to fit my high school experience a lot more. And so 2011, I graduate. Um, from from UAA with a degree in MIS, and um, I've I've got this job working for the nonprofit. So I'm now trying to figure out what I want to do, and this this is one of those periods that I go through where I'm I'm sort of aimless because there's there's no place to really go in this this company to move up um, unless I like not not from a technology perspective anyway. So I could have moved on to being you know somebody who's working directly with that nonprofit's clients or you know i was kind of stuck where i am but I, I had this funny situation where i was i'd always made really good money comparatively for my age and and you know at 21 or 22 i was still making good money um and i had this like crazy flexibility because i built them this crm in ruby on rails I, I did my senior project in ruby on rails um and so i kind of had like this funny vision to like you know get a macbook pro and move to portland to retire um and, and I don't, I don't end up doing that. I, I never pull the trigger for whatever reason. Um, but I end up working for this nonprofit for like two more years and sort of floundering, not really sure what I'm going to do. And, um, I start moonlighting, picking up some work. I'd always kind of had these little side hustles of, you know, websites or whatever. So I start moonlighting. Um, there's a whole other crazy story in here with the company I'm moonlighting for, but long story short, I, I burned myself out and I decide I'm going to go to Indonesia for a couple months with some buddies who are, you know, they were, uh, they graduated on time, but they're my age. So they're graduating like in 2014. We had like four of us go to Indonesia. We leave for a few months. Um, wait, 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 wait. You actually went to Indonesia, which for me is the first time you're actually leaving Alaska for something because you didn't go for university. You ended up staying. You didn't. You, you didn't okay, go I did Portland, skip another know, chapter here. I, <laughs> I did live in Bend, Oregon for a winter, so I convinced this nonprofit to let me work remotely. But I kept the job. I lived in Bend, Oregon for a winter. Um, I realized like I like the mountains in Alaska. That so this okay. I did skip this. This was my Alaska experience. This is where I, I lived in Bend. I thought, cool, I'm going to go to this mountain town. It's going to be really great. I get there, there's one mountain, um, it's very flat. It's, there, there, aren't, there isn't enough of the thing that I like to do. And it's like just kind of a small town. It was like too small for me. I wanted the ability to like get out and, and have more access to backcountry, which is kind of infinite here. This is where I started realizing how special Alaska was, is I was like, I can, I can just head up into the mountains and there's nobody and I can, I can like disappear. Um, 
where where there you know there's only you know four mountains that are really that accessible from from within the town so i come back i continue working for the nonprofit, and then i decide like okay if i stay here i'm, I'm never going to move forward with my life and i'm not making progress so i need to make this decision to move on from that job uh and then my friends convince me to go to indonesia with them so how was indonesia two minutes two minutes how was was that life changing? Was it what you thought it was going to be? It's a completely different world. Completely different world. So it was life changing for like a bunch of different reasons that I hadn't expected. Um, but the the thing was, is again, like toward the end of the trip, I remember I was just like, I kept having dreams about mountains and being cold. And like, I know that the idea of being cold sounds awful to you, but to me, who's like born here, um, it being 95 degrees and sunny every day, like was, it was great for like a week. And then I started getting super restless. Um, you know, what I found was during that time when I enjoyed myself the most was like, we, we got our like dive certifications, our like advanced dive certifications. And there was this guy named Brindley who is an ex-professional rugby player. And so he was used to like tourists coming through who are like on their honeymoons and stuff. And then you get like four of us we got a fisherman, we got an electrical engineer, we got me, we got a guy who we always joke, he like, he's like a diplomat, but he, he had, um, he, he got a degree in history. He's now an electrician. So we get there and we're like inherently interested in diving for the sake of diving. So we're like learning knots. We're like moving mooring blocks underwater. And that was just like another thing where I like realized about myself that like I'm happiest when I'm learning and engaged in something. So we just, you know, we spent two and a half months there the 10 best days by far were the days where we were diving twice a day, learning all these new skills. That was a blast. Um, yeah. So, so I ended up coming back, back from there. Um, and I, I sort of realized like, okay, I, I need to like figure out what I'm doing. So I get an apartment on my own first time living like totally on my own. I'd lived in other places with friends and roommates, but I decided to get my own apartment and then I'm like, okay, I need to, I need to figure out how I'm going to make money. Um, and I'm not really interested in any jobs up here. I could go work for a consulting firm doing programming stuff, or I could go work for like a big engineering firm doing some programming stuff for them, but none of that stuff really resonates. And so I start just like hustling up whatever IT work that I can get. I'm running cables through ceilings. I'm fixing WordPress websites, um, kind of whatever. And I ended up finding this niche, um, building WordPress websites, doing like wholesale web development for advertising agencies. Um, so I'm not really like what I would consider now like engineering or programming, but I'm, I'm still like working with code and I end up building a business out of that. Um, through that, you know, I, I end up discovering that's out, like 2000, yeah. what that's like 15, 2015 or sorry, 2015, oh, 2005. 2016. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was going to no, say, no, no, yeah. Okay. You got it right. Yeah. I want to, because we got like 10 minutes left and I wanted to touch base on, I mean, we could have a whole nother podcast. You got so much here. At some point you start to realize that there's a need in Alaska to bring work in on the outside. At some point you realize that you have a talented community of, of engineers, developers, and the work isn't necessarily all in Alaska. Uh, I want you to talk to me about that over the next five or so minutes, like the realization and, and, and some of the things you started to try to do to, to solve that problem. Yeah. So, um, 2015, you know, I'm trying the whole work from home thing. I'm going through another, you know, kind of personal adjustment in friends and stuff. And that's, that's a whole other thing. But, um, 
I ended up getting a uh, an office uh, at the co-working space uh, or renting renting a desk. And so I I'm there. I'm working. There's like one other guy who kind of does some programming stuff. Um, one of my clients ended up being a law firm. I ended up building some apps for them. And all of a sudden, you know, I go from like doing wholesale web development to now I'm, I'm getting a chance to like build stuff for nonprofits. I'm building larger databases for food bank and stuff like that around town. And, you know, I'm just realizing like, I feel really isolated and I start thinking about it. I'm like, well, there's gotta be other programmers here in town. And none of the people from MIS, like MIS is a weird degree because you learn how to program, you program for three years, then immediately go into management. So by this time, a lot of my other friends are already PMs and managers. They're, they're not actually programming and in the weeds or they're doing more like software implementation. So I'm still programming. I'm realizing this is the thing that I really like to do, but I'm kind of lonely. And so at this time, I'm like, okay, well, how do I get exposure to other stuff? I'm working on my own. There's got to be other programmers here. And I start initially trying to do this uh, engineering setup. So there are several other engineers that worked at this co-working space, like mechanical engineers. We had a, a space, uh, an aerospace engineer. So every so often, we try to do them like once a week where we just get all the engineers who worked at this co-working space together and, and talk about stuff. Um, and it was funny because we all had like the same problems and, and same same stuff that we're thinking about. Um, but I, I was also realizing like, okay, this is this is great, but like we're not talking about tech per se. And so at this point I started thinking about it and like, we need to start like a trade group. Is there a trade group for software professionals? And it looked like there kind of was, but it was, it was latent. Like the person who was running it had left. And so I started doing some research on this. Um, and I end up uh, through some connections on the board of um, computer science and engineering for the University of Alaska Anchorage. Um, and, and I'm just kind of using all this as like a jump off point to like really understand, you know, why isn't there a group? Was there a group? Why doesn't that group exist at this point? And I just sort of decided like, okay, well, it doesn't exist right now. I'm going to pick it up and do it. And so I start this mailing list and there was another guy who was a, a freelancer who had been part of the previous group and he grabs the mailing list from meetup.com um, and it was called like AK devs. And, and again, this is one of those things where like somebody starts a group, they run it, they get burned out, they drop it. Somebody else like hears about it, they pick up their thing and they, they take it and run with it. And so this was sort of my turn to pick up the ball and run with it. And what I started looking at was that like, because of the, the density of our population and just like how few people we have, like we can't focus this around one specific, specific niche. So like the AK devs is like very much focused around like web development stuff. Well, okay. Does web development work for somebody who's working in process controls for oil and gas? Does web development work for somebody who's working in video games, you know, programming remotely? And, and the answer was inherently no, right? Like all of these people wanted to come and, and jump in and learn about things that were specific to them. And so by, by saying like, this is a group for programmers who do X, you're excluding all the rest of the programmers inherently. And so my goal at this point was like to meet as many people as I could to figure out, you know, who's out there and what should I be doing and who can I talk to about learning? Um, so that was the first thing is that we removed like the specific subject and within a matter of like maybe a month or two, we had our mailing list up to like a hundred people 
And I started sending out surveys, trying to figure out like, what do people want to learn about? Like, what, how should we get together? What should we do? Um, and I come to find out that there's a developers group in Fairbanks that's like thriving. And it was, it was thriving because there was a startup that had gotten some funding with some guys that were my age. Um, and they like specifically made an investment and were like plugged into the university up there. And so they, they started their own group. And so I'm like, wait a second, we're in Anchorage. We're, we're like four times the population of, uh, of Fairbanks. Like, why don't we have a developers group? And like, you show up to one of their meetings, they have 30 people there. And, and so that was like this funny thing where it wasn't adversarial. I was just like, wait a second, if they can do it, we can do it. So I end up flying to Fairbanks. I go to one of their meetings. I talk to the guys who are running that and they're like, oh, that's hilarious. Cause we looked at your group and we were like, well, Anchorage has a group. Why don't we have a group? And so there was like this whole funny thing <laughs> that like, we'll have to continue this on the next podcast, but like essentially they looked at us and saw that we were doing something and they thought that they could do it. I looked at them and was like, they're doing something, we can do it. And then all of a sudden we had like this moment that clicked where it was like, this should not be a group that exists in one town. This should be a statewide organization. And so that's how we ended up with the Alaska Developers Alliance um, was that we really just wanted to connect everybody in the state because we realized like, if you if you try to cut this down or make it too specific, that you're you're not gonna be able to get everyone bought in. But from this point, it all sort of snowballs. We start gaining momentum. We're doing meetups once a month and people start coming out of the woods who have done crazy impressive stuff. There's a guy in Girdwood, which is a ski town about an hour away, who was like one of the core engineers that worked on Dragon Naturally Speaking's um, neural language uh, engine or for like speech to text stuff. And, and keep in mind, like this is before this was ubiquitous with Apple and Google and, and Facebook where you could just dictate to your phone. This is like thousand dollar software that lawyers would buy to dictate instead of typing into a computer or, you know, stuff that like assistive technology might use for somebody who, who can't type and can't use their hands, they would be able to dictate with the computer. So like at the time, this guy was like at the ground level of, of doing the research um, to understand this stuff. And, and he just like lived 45 minutes away. And I could like, like once we found him is like, wait, I could just like pick up the phone and call him. Um, it was funny. <laughs> I came across him on Twitter the other day, didn't realize we weren't Twitter friends. And, and so I reached out to him and, and we had a good chat, but um, that was like this, this light bulb moment that went off where I, I just sort of realized we've got this, this really disconnected, huge space that has people who are all looking for other people who do the same thing and, and no way to get connected. And, and I was, you know, kind of the, the game changing moment for me was I realized like, wait a second, I've been feeling like I'm alone and kind of isolated and programming on my own. Everybody else is feeling the same way. And so we started, we started kicking off this group and within like two years, we, we were up over 400 members. Um, and, and I started really thinking about it and, and I, I just really started sending out surveys, trying to figure out, you know, what are people doing? Do they work local? Do they work remote? What are they interested in? Uh, do they like their job? Do they not like their job? And it was really oriented, you know, a lot, I would say it was like 50% students at the time. Um, there was a lot of people who are working full time, but probably, you know, just as many people who are looking for work. And that's where it really started to occur to me that like, we've got a big opportunity and, and going back to Alaska's economy at the time, right? Like 
in 2008 was great for us because oil was crazy expensive, but this is coming off of, off of the back of that, where we're realizing that oil is not going to sustain Alaska forever. So I'm kind of in the entrepreneur startup community and there's a lot of talk about, you know, what's next for Alaska's economy. Are we going to survive after oil? And this is where I, I begin to really think about, you know, what's next for Alaska? What are we going to do for jobs? What are we going to do for work? Um, you know, and, and remote employment seemed really interesting because if our economy, right, is military, um, oil and gas, fishing and natural resources, right, mining, uh, logging, stuff like that, you know, all of that is focused on resource extracting and sending it somewhere else. Well, if we're educating people here, why can't we export knowledge, you know, and, and start doing value add stuff? So, so some of that is like, okay, we've got skilled workers who want to be in Alaska, who want to stay here, um, but don't necessarily have programming opportunities here uh, or working in software engineering. Um, and then, you know, we've also got people who want to build products and, and you know, export products from here. Um, and products being, you know, software as a service or, or whatever, you know, it could be one, one-time licenses. It didn't really matter, but, you know, all of a sudden I, I just start seeing possibilities with this. And that was probably the, the main catalyst. And, and I think around this time is when I end up getting in, in touch with you and we meet for the first time. Um, I'm at the co-working space. I meet, meet some guys who, who work in Go and I've never heard of this language. So it's uh, 2007. And I start tinkering with it and thinking it's pretty cool. And they convinced me to go down and, and take one of your classes. And this was really interesting for me because it, it all of a sudden I, I kind of had this connection where I'm, I'm seeing the application of the stuff that I didn't care about in computer science, right? I'm like, I've been sort of more focused on just getting things done using high level frameworks. Um, but I was running into the limits of that personally. And that was, you know, why I wanted to connect with other programmers in the first place. And so I go down and I take, take your class and all of a sudden I'm learning about pointers and memory management. And, you know, those were some of the, the aha moments that like really started to progress me in my career. And none of that would have happened, you know, if it weren't for this, this group, the developers Alliance and working at a co-working space and, and building these hubs. Um, so that was, that was definitely like a really, um, intense period of time. I was, I was working a lot. I was basically working full-time building the developers Alliance and working full-time, um, trying to build my consulting company and, um, like mountain running was my outlet. So those were sort of the, the three things I, I did at that time. I, I think there was like maybe two years I, I gave up even drinking for a while, just I don't know. I, I was so motivated by these other things. I just, you know, it was like, I don't, I shouldn't be going to bars. I'm going to, I'm going to do other stuff. Um, you know, I should be running in the mountains. That's, that's my place. The world has really changed in the last two years with the remote. I mean, there was a time where you would have had to leave Alaska to get the jobs with the, the biggest tech companies, even on the West coast, which is fine with your time zone. Right now that's kind of all broken down. I mean, I think, I don't, I wonder how many companies realize how much talent there is in Alaska that's not being tapped now that we can work remotely. I mean, I do, I do, right? I mean, I talk to you a little bit about it all the time, but um, I think now is like this most amazing time to try to bring in some more awareness, either in Alaska or outside of Alaska to say there's a whole workforce here that you're not tapping into. 
You still have the Alliance, right? Yeah. So um, th this was sort of my my big thing is I, I ended up running this for four years. And, and one of my core philosophies when I started working on this was that it couldn't rely on a single person um, because otherwise it would it would die again um, if it was just one person doing everything. And so um, I was able to secure, you know, some funding for the group. I wrote a white paper on, you know, why this group exists and what we're trying to do in Alaska and the economy, bigger picture. Um, I, I built a board and was able to eventually pass that on. We went through like three reorgs before we sort of figured out how the group should exist and, and run longer term. I mean, and I was able to pass that on um, last spring. And so we've got a new director, um, Andre Andrews. He comes from more of a security um, DOD perspective and he's super sharp, awesome guy. So he runs that um, now. It's, it's not a paid position, it's all still volunteers. We get a lot of our sort of um, energy from, from students at this point who are just getting into technology and Googling around and finding our group online and, and wanting to get involved um, and see what's happening professionally. So that's been really cool to see the heritage keep going. But, you know, one of the things we thought about with the economy was like, okay, if we've got 20 people who are all doing six figure jobs living in Alaska, you know, that's, that's a tax base, but, but more than it just being a tax base, these are people who want to be in Alaska who are now here rather than people who have been relocated to Alaska for jobs. And one of the things that we struggled with, with within the organization was like, you know, who our primary constituents were. And this seems like something that's sort of in the weeds, but keep in mind, we've got a hundred active participants like every day, and we have 400 people on the mailing list. We have 400 people in our Slack group. Most of these people are in Alaska, over 90%. And so we're really trying to figure out, you know, who do we serve? Because we're starting to have decisions that, you know, are making people upset. And that just happens anytime you have an organization that gets to a, a certain size. And so where we landed was that the Alaska Developers Alliance is an organization for software professionals that want to invest in Alaska. And, and basically what we mean is that I don't care if you're here for a year, for five years, for 10 years, if you die here, the, the point is that for the time that you're here, you're interested in investing in this place. And, you know, some people love moving here and raising kids and then going back to lower 48. Um, that's all good. But fundamentally, you know, this group is about the people who want to live and exist here and make it a better place. And to me, I think that it's a huge asset for people to be working remote jobs because that gets that makes Alaska one one step closer to being sustainable. And it also makes the the programming community here that much better because you're now being uh, exposed to things that don't exist up here. West Coast tech, startups, um, new programming paradigms, working on niches that you know would never exist up here, right? Like there's no reason we would have like a, a hub for natural language processing in Alaska. Ironically, we do have a supercomputer up in Fairbanks and that's a story for another time. Um, but it's, it's, to me, it's, it's honestly one of the best things that could have happened. And it's fun to look back at the white paper that the Alliance wrote, because one of our core things was that, you know, at some point in the future, we're going to have a remote workforce that is here because of the opportunities that Alaska provides and not that is here to, you know, extract their own money out of the situation. And so the pandemic and COVID has been sort of an accelerator of that. And 
what I'm seeing now is within our Slack group, we've got multiple posts um, a, a week for work offers. There's a ton of side chat going, people are networking. Like if I want a job at Google, Amazon, or Facebook, there are people in that group that I can just ping and say, hey, what's up? How do I get in the door? What do I need to do to learn? Do you guys have any job openings? Um, you know, and, and all of that stuff seems to be sort of the crux to getting in the, in the door at those companies. If, if that's where you want to go is like, you know, if you send a, a resume, it goes into the void. But if I ping, you know, Michael who lives in Kenai or Soldatna or wherever, and he's like, yeah, man, I'll put your resume in. What are you applying for? Right. That's everything. And that's been so motivating and exciting to see that become a reality over the last, you know, four or five years since, since this group was incepted, um, that, you know, it's, it's just cool to look back, even, even though I'm not the director, it's like, you know, this was stuff that was set in, in motion five years ago and, it, and it's now, it's now happening. And it's like, in some sense, it's kind of bizarre because you never really feel like you're making progress in the moment that things are happening. But if you stop to, you know, let yourself be bored or recap some of those things that you were doing years ago, you, you can really see that like, you know, this stuff does just take time. And if you're putting the work in, then the luck tends to come along with it. And uh, that's, that's just been a really cool experience to see that, that come full circle. That's brilliant. Okay, we're, we're basically out of time here. We kind of rushed the, the top end, but I, I'm really glad we got to talk about the Alliance because I wanna make sure we get that in the show notes. So if companies are looking to hire, um, they could reach out to the Alliance as well and uh, kind of advertise uh, the people that they're looking for. Okay, Jeff, this has been an amazing hour plus. I really appreciate all your time here. Tell people how they can get in touch with you if they want to talk to you after listening to the show. Yeah, so I'm, I'm on Twitter. Um, if you just Google uh, Jeff Levin, I'm there. I think my, my handle, I actually have to look it up. I don't keep it on deck. I think it's uh, just Jeff Levin or JA113 or something like that. Um, but if you Google Jeff Levin, I'm, I'm on Twitter um, or Google, you'll find me. Um, AKDevAlliance.com is the, the website for the, for the trade group. Um, yeah, Twitter handle Jeff Levin three, so I'm there. But akdevalliance.com for for the the trade group and the website. Um, you know, we don't. We would love people to come and recruit. So if you're interested, you know, ping ping a message um, info at akdevalliance.com to get involved. Um, but otherwise, I'm pretty active on Twitter. So if you want to talk about Alaska or anything going on up here, uh, shoot me a message. <laughs> and I got to get back to Alaska soon. I had a great time. A couple of times I was there. Yeah, I got to go to Miami, apparently. Yeah, I got to get you to Miami. So, and I've been to Alaska, so you got to make the trip to Miami now, and then I'm going back. <laughs> that's All the right, deal. deal. I'll, go, I'll go next. You come up here after. All right, that's sweet. All right, so thank you all for listening to Jeff and I over the last hour plus. This is the Art Labs podcast signing out, and hope to see everybody again real soon. Thanks.